You're listening to the Mr. Sensational Kino Vega Podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. What's up, everybody? It's me, it's me, it's Gino V. Coming to you after a week away with episode 23 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vigo podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. And folks, uh, I'm not going to lie, starting this episode off a bit irritated, a bit in the podcasting doldrums, because just about everything that could go wrong in my setup for this episode has gone wrong so far. Keyboard wasn't working for the computer, had to switch over to a laptop. Uh, the program that I used for recording needed an update, had to sit around waiting for that. Um, got started um, to begin with later than I wanted to originally because I had to make an unexpected stop by the store to pick up some supplies. Um, dealing with a real tight um, time frame window here for when I got to turn around and go back and pick up the kids from the measly two hours that they're away at school. Um, what else has been irritating so far in this lead up? Uh, oh, I can't find the uh, earbuds that I normally use for um, reference listening as I'm recording this. I'm having to deal with like the intro music bleed coming into my microphone, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one bright side, um, I was out of the house for a day recently. And when I came back, one of the cats had knocked the old uh, blue snowball microphone that I use for recording this show onto the ground. So I was a bit worried it might have suffered some uh, damage, but it seems to be working fine. So we'll, we'll hang our hat on that as we move on here with episode 23. Feels like it's been a long time since I've done this. It's really just been a week. Um, last week, the Thanksgiving holiday uh, week sort of sprung up on me out of nowhere. And uh, I had forgotten that everyone was going to be home for the entire week. So it was hard to secure time to record the show and ISR was just kind of like, well, it's holiday week anyway, so I may as well take it off, which I did, but I'm back here, technical struggles aside, I'm trying to get things back on regular track. Uh, Thanksgiving was super uneventful here, didn't really do anything. Um, I mentioned a few episodes back, I'm not a huge Thanksgiving person. I, if, if the stars align right, it can be a fun day, but more often than not, it's just kind of a chore. Um, our last few leading up to this have been fun because we've just gone away as the family down to San Diego, California, as again, I mentioned a few episodes back, but we uh, did not do that this year. We we're just at home, just kind of hung out and didn't do much. Um, and it was not too big of a sacrifice. I'm not sure what all the hubbub's about, you know, one year of having a whack Thanksgiving when very well, you may have a whack one, even when you can be around all your family members anyway. I don't know. just doesn't seem like that much of a sacrifice for public health. I, I kind of... I, it's sad sometimes to think about, like, you know, what our current, how old it would be like for our current um, national population to be existing during something like, I don't know, World War II or something like that, where it was actually like multiple years of protracted sacrifice and social interruption. <laughs> we're, we're, we're struggling getting through one here. So, one of uh, relative uh, ease. So, I don't know. Lights at the end of the tunnel for this pandemic thing. We're wrapping it up here. Hopefully people can hold it together for the next few months. We will see. Um, hopes are not high, but it is what it is, to quote the great Donald J. Trump. 
moving along from Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving has quickly melted into Christmas, and we've got the Christmas uh, decorations in full effect here at the manor, so that is great. I love Christmas season, as I've also mentioned before. We got the tree. You know, we went out to um, get a tree here in Napa, California, and it was our first Christmas doing so. And in Santa Rosa, where we lived before, you had quite a range of options when it came to purchasing a Christmas tree. You had the handful of, uh, you know, proverbial Christmas tree lots, you know, just the parking lots full of uh, Christmas trees trucked in from some farm somewhere. Um, you had, I don't know, places like Home Depot and stuff sell Christmas trees, I think. Um, they do here to a degree, which we'll talk about. Um, and then um, all throughout Sonoma County, there's Christmas tree farms. If you want to kind of make a day of it and drive out and kind of go to these places where you can chop down your own tree um, and bring it home. And that, that when we lived in Santa Rosa, that was usually our go-to. We drove out kind of to um, an area near Sebastopol in the western part of Sonoma County and went to a Christmas tree farm and I would saw down a tree and we would bring it home as part of our... Christmas uh, family tradition. But anyway, um, here in Napa, there are no um, Christmas tree farms that I'm aware of. Any agricultural land, farmland that exists here is pretty much all dedicated to the grape, as uh, wine is the big economic engine of uh, Napa County. A wine in the, in the farmlands and then uh, hospitality and tourism in the urban core. The Democrat-run urban core, Democrats all. Um, uh, but yeah, so no Christmas tree farms to speak of, and really one major lot that we could find, uh, Steve's Trees, I believe it was called. So we figured, all right, well, I guess we're going to Steve's Trees this year. So we pulled up to Steve's Trees um, on last uh, Saturday, I believe. Yeah, it was Saturday. The Saturday after Thanksgiving. And Steve's Trees, just a run-of-the-mill Christmas tree lot with... Uh, uh, trees trucked in from elsewhere. Steve's trees, trees were beginning, beginning at $100. Beginning at $100. And I'm not even the most fiscally conservative person, but I don't know. That was a non-starter. So we left Steve's trees. We went over to Home Depot and Home Depot had a sad little clutch of like these potted plants that could only be, they were marketed as Christmas trees, but they looked more like, like a herbal, you know, like, like a sage plant where you would pluck off sage and use in your cooking or something. I don't know. I don't, people burn sage too. I don't know. That's a thing, right? Um, so Home Depot, I mean, this wasn't even a matter of being like Christmas tree snobs or anything. They're just, the, the, the stuff there was not really resembling trees and was not particularly inexpensive either. So I ended up going back home to get all of our decorations unpacked and Ms. S and the two kids actually drove out to Sebastopol and cut down a tree at the lot that we go to uh, out there um, and got a tree for a fraction of the price um, than what would have um, cost us at Steve's Trees. So yeah, the city of Napa, kind of a bust for... Um, Christmas trees. And, uh, you know, uh, stereotypes abound. You know, you may be thinking, picturing all these people uh, pulling up to Steve's trees and their, their Teslas and their Lamborghinis and just like coming out in full, like uh, uh, expensive uh, leisure wear 
and just dropping, you know, pulling out the stack of bills and just like making it rain for the trees. But there's just like regular, like working class folk out there forking over a hundred dollars for a tree because, uh, uh, I guess they're the only game in town and folks that, uh, grew up around here, I guess they don't know that they could drive. I guess driving an hour is kind of a pain, <laughs> but I don't know. It just, it just seemed like yeah, paying a hundred dollars starting for a Christmas tree. Uh, -uh. no. In any case, the tree is up. The tree is decorated. We got our massive nutcracker collection that we've amassed over the years lurking all over the house. Um, final things I got to take out is uh, the kids each have like a wooden advent calendar with a box for each of the days leading up to uh, Christmas. And you open the box and you put some small token or trinket inside, usually like a piece of chocolate or something like that. That's part of the family, part of the family tradition. I used to always have one when I was a kid, but I, I would always have the paper advent calendars. Like in, <clears throat> in Bad Santa, doesn't doesn't Bad Santa eat all the, the candy out of one of those and then puts like little alcohol bottles in it or something? Am I remembering that right? It's been a while since I've seen that one. Bad Santa, that's a good Christmas flick. Uh, not necessarily family friendly though. <laughs> but, and I never did see the sequel. I might have to check that out this Christmas season. But uh, anyway, yeah, so we just, we found some some actual wooden ones for the kids. Um, kept the tradition going. That uh, leads me to remember something that just is like pretty maddening that I've experienced a couple times regarding Christmas and Christmas traditions and haters. Haters with the war on Christmas. They'll, they'll try to, They'll try to scream happy holidays at you as soon as look at you. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people can have whatever tradition they want. I don't care. I'm, I'm a Christmas person, not just me, but I understand. Mileage may vary. Um, but, and I understand there's any number of reasons not to take on the Christmas tradition or to have traditions of your own. Um, but a couple times I've encountered people. And every time this has happened, this has actually been a Christmas person who does, you know, it's not like it's someone coming from some other uh, tradition um, where, you know, they come over on Christmas time and they see, you know, the kind of the setup that we have going for the kids. And this is more when the kids are younger. The kids, this stuff's all running on fumes now. The kids are like teen and, and preteen or tween. Um, so, so a lot of this is out of muscle memory now. When they were kids, we got them really worked up into a frenzy about Christmas because why not? You know, it's part of, part of the magic of uh, childhood. So someone would come over and they'd see our stuff. Um, I'm not trying to say like we had some ostentatious Christmas display, but we, you know, we put out a bunch of decorations and, and, and junk for Christmas and including those advent calendars. And uh, um, this one woman in particular, one year saw the advent calendars and we were talking about, Oh yeah, we had to scramble. Cause like we needed something to put in like today's, uh, a box and there was nothing in there and we had to shove something in there before they went to check it. But we, you know, we got these chocolate coins or something and put it in. And she was like, you need to tell me you give them something every day leading up to Christmas and then Christmas presents too. And you say it comes from the advent calendar and not from you. We're like, well, yeah, that's part of the, <laughs> that's the magic of Christmas lady. And this lady was just irate. She was like, when I buy my children presents, I let them know. That's not from Santa. That's from me. I paid my hard-earned money for it, and you better be grateful. Man, that's whack. Like, 
seriously some monster level stuff right there. <laughs> like you are such like a miserly hearted narcissistic egomaniac that you can't stand back and give gifts to small children with the idea that they're coming from a fantasy character. No, you need to get the credit from, from these small kids. <laughs> they, they need to, they, to give you some bizarre ego validation that it was your money that provided the gifts. I don't know, man. I, I can think of very few things sadder. And like I said, I've encountered that a couple times with other parents over the years. I remember there was another parent that was, uh, her big thing was a, you know, she was trying to teach science and rationality to her children. It's like, man, th there's plenty of time for that down the road. I mean, I understand you don't want them growing up to be QAnon or something, but uh, <laughs> they're kids, man. It's Christmas time. Have some fun with it. And, and this, this um, parent was also very hung up on the fact that they needed to know that it came from her hard-earned money. Um, whatever. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. You know, because of all the technical mishaps I mentioned uh, getting this episode started, I realized I've been recording the whole thing with the internal mic of my laptop and not my actual microphone. So I really hope the audio is coming out okay. I think it is. I think it is. I might not have needed this uh, extra special microphone in the first place. Um, but anyway... Just throwing that out there. Uh, it's too late to, to go back now, but I'm hoping it's okay. Um, once again, I laugh when I think of all those podcasts I listen to that cite producers, production assistants, editors, etc., etc. Man, look at look at what, what can be done with one lone individual and subpar equipment. It's the magic of podcasting. Just like the magic of Christmas, you know? People just need to, to open their minds, open their hearts a little more. Um, folks, last episode, I had mentioned that this episode was going to be a new format, not a new format universally going forward, but once in a while, I'm going to throw out a few episodes where I just tell mortifying stories from my past. But because I was off for a week and because there's been some other stuff going on in my life that I told stories about, we're already kind of halfway through here. So I don't know if we're actually going to get to that or not. That might be um, something for next episode. We're going to play it by the ear, as they say. Play it by ear. What does that saying mean? I gotta, oh, you know what? That's talking about music, huh? Because you're like, you're improvising. You're playing by ear. 44 years. I finally figured that one out. I always thought it had something to do with an ear of corn for some reason. I'm not sure why. Um, but anyway, we'll see. I might throw in a few of those tales where we might just make that next episode's focus. What else has been going on around here in the life sensational? Oh, one interesting development um, that some folks that listen to the show that I am connected with on Facebook have already seen and commented on, but I'll, I'll throw it out here real quick anyway. Uh, so Ms. S., my wife, is part of one of those um, Facebook groups where it's like local freebies things, like people that are, are trying to get rid of stuff for free. We use it sometimes to offload things. I think I would say we definitely use it to offload more than we've used it to pick anything up. In fact, you know, I don't know that we picked anything up. I think it's all been offloading. Um, because over the last couple of years with our move and everything, we were just trying to trying to get rid of a lot of uh, just extra um kipple, as uh, Philip K. Dick would call it, um, that's been following us around over the years. Um, but the other night, she was like, hey, these people are trying to get rid of a round table pizza sign. I think I'm going to tell them uh, 
we want it. And I was just picturing kind of this small round table pizza sign. So I was like, oh yeah, sure, whatever. And so the, the salient thing here for us with round table pizza is that Ms. S and I met initially at a round table pizza. I know I've talked about this on previous episodes of the show, but um, nutshell, we met because we were both um, pre-internet online people. We uh, used modems to call local bulletin board systems where people would engage in online conversation. And once a month in Sonoma County, where we lived as teens, um, there were meetings at a roundtable pizza for a group called More Modem Operators of the Redwood Empire, where folks would meet in person. And she and I met at one of those meetings when I was 14 and a half and she was 16. And We've not been uh, a couple that entire time, but we've known each other since then. So anyway, Roundtable Pizza played a pivotal role in our personal history. So again, I was like, yeah, whatever, cool, Roundtable sign. But then she was like, yeah, there's no way it's going to fit in the car. But they said they'll bring it by. I was like, what do you mean it's not going to fit in the car? And then eventually the people showed up with it. And it's legit like the kind of signage that would have been out above the door of the Roundtable Pizza, like in a strip mall. So it's like this 15-foot sign that is now laying in our backyard. But the hope is someday, somehow, we'll figure out something to do with it as some kind of home decoration. Um, but that was kind of cool. I'm not nearly as adventurous as an item finder, item procurer, as some members of the IC Robots uh, radio universe uh, and adjacent sphere are. So this, this was kind of a monumental thing for me. We don't usually have cool artifacts like this showing up at the manor. But show up one did. So I'll keep you posted if anything ever comes of the sign, what we end up doing with it. Uh, I will say, um, just shout out to the classic pizza parlors of yore. Um, it really does seem to be a dying, a dying breed. The dark, dark dungeony sort of round tables and shakies and straw hats and such, you know, with the cocktail Ms. Pac-Man consoles and cigarette smoke and pitchers of beer, pitchers of root beer, pizza after pizza. Um, good times. Shout out to the pizza place, the proverbial pizza parlor of yore. They reminisce over to you. You know, the last thing I'll say is kind of funny. I haven't been to a round table in a while. When we lived in Santa Rosa, California, um, there was a round table literally right up the street from our house. Um, exited our house, turned on to this main thoroughfare street, Sonoma Avenue, that we lived off of, walked up Sonoma Avenue about a block or so, and then you would reach a shopping center known as Montgomery Village. And inside Montgomery Village, there was a roundtable pizza. Montgomery Village is a funny place because it was like um, half an echo of like 70s and 80s Santa Rosa with stuff like... Uh, um, round table and then half um the developer and the owner trying to trying to class the joint up and bring in high-end tenants so then you get weird like fancy clothing stores and uh stuff like that and montgomery village is like um uh basically divided into breezeways with stores on either side so you'd be walking down one and there's like a cattleman's which is like a, a country western steakhouse and a round table and then you're over in the next aisle and there's some crazy high-end women's shoe store. Um, so Montgomery Village is kind of all over the place. But um, I used to take the kids um, 
over to the round table sometimes, or I just head over there by myself for lunch. Sometimes I get a beer, get a personal pizza. Um, and this one time I was in there and this was probably like two years ago towards the end of our time in Santa Rosa. And if you went in there at lunch, the place was mobbed with these senior citizens that were getting some kind of senior citizen discount deal, but they were just really, uh, kind of irritating and needy because they wouldn't just order their stuff and go sit down and enjoy each other's company and eat. They were always like kind of milling around the cash register, mobbing around and like always suspicious that they weren't getting, weren't getting enough of a deal or they were somehow being shorted. Just kind of a bad scene. I mean, it's like, you know, go, go out, go out on top, go out with some dignity, you know, hopefully I hope should I make it to those later years that I'm not haggling with a minimum wage employee at a round table somewhere over 20 cents. I don't know. Um, but in the midst of all this, this one day I was in there and the seniors were going crazy and I had ordered my beer and a personal pizza. I'm sitting there. I look over and I see this fellow dining by himself, just kind of a sour look on his face, sullen, angry look, eating a salad. And the guy was this uh, big time, big shot uh, developer in Santa Rosa, builds a lot of uh, projects. And uh, <laughs> thought it was funny like on one hand I was like man if I was like rolling as deep as this guy would I really be eating a salad by myself at round table then I thought about it and I was like no I'd, I'd, I'd eat a round table for sure I don't think I'd eat a salad and I don't think I'd eat it angrily by myself that was kind of the weird part I don't know food for thought salad for thought as it were who orders a salad at round table get the pizza do yourself a favor please get the pizza <laughs> Folks, over the weekend, I watched the Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. exhibition boxing match. And so I'm going to finish the episode this week talking a little bit about the fight game. And we'll save uh, Mortifying Tales of Mr. Sensational for next week. But I watched this bout, um, like I imagine most people who watched it did, just kind of out of nostalgia and morbid curiosity. Mike Tyson's kind of a strange figure. Um, I find it interesting in the world of heightened awareness around, oh, sexual assault, harassment, and that sort of thing, and just a lot of public figures being canceled, as it were, over allegations. Um, the Mike Tyson, someone who was actually convicted of these crimes, sort of gets a pass. And I'm not saying he should be canceled because he certainly, you know, he paid his debt to society. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with him personally. I just feel a little weird just being all in on Tyson because of that background and how it just, just totally swept under the rug. And again, I'm not holding him up as some paragon of moral virtue. I think that's kind of the problem anyway. Um, that's sort of one of the um, things behind cancellation. It gets lost in the mix. And we've talked about this before on the show, I'm sure. But just the idea that is it, is it possible to apprehend someone as a artist, entertainer, cultural figure without that meaning that you are just an endorser of this person as a person of virtue that we all need to adore and worship? I think that's a little that's a little strange, that kind of worship, but at the same time. I don't know that going to the opposite extreme and unpersoning this cultural entity is always necessarily the, the only answer either. 
So Tyson, say what you will about him and his strange ability to remake himself as this kind of family-friendly, fun-time guy um, all these decades later, but he was a towering cultural icon in the 90s, um, especially for anyone that was even at all adjacent to um, the fight game or had any interest in it. He was kind of the epitome of the the mean, edgy 1990s when he was at his peak. I guess he, he was, I mean, he was kind of peak began in the 80s too, but he kind of prefigured uh, 90s edginess. So originally I was going to blow off the exhibition match and not watch it, but as a child of the 80s and the 90s, there was no way I could I could fight that inexorable pull. And so, yes, folks, I watched the event. What was that, like Saturday night, I think? Um, pretty much the only, the only highlight really was Snoop Dogg. Snoop Doggy Dogg did a tremendous job on commentary on the show. And then his medley uh, concert performance that he did also kind of saved the show was the best part of the show. And I'm not even, I'm not a big Snoop Dogg fan at all, but it was just kind of brought me back. It was very timely with Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. and kind of brought it all back to the 1990s vibe. And just that part worked really well. Otherwise it was two old guys kind of looking sorry with each other in the ring. And it would have been one thing too, if there was more of a point or a narrative to their performance, but it just kind of felt like Tyson's old wants to do an exhibition. Who's another old guy that could still do an exhibition? Roy Jones Jr. All right, guys, go at it. You know, I, I think I would have been more, more invested in in something that had um, more historical hooks, like a, a reunion of Tyson and Holyfield or something along those lines. But uh, Tyson and Jones aside, I've been watching a considerable amount of boxing lately. Um, as well as uh, UFC and some other assorted MMA promotions. Um, as chronicled on the show, you know, I've set um, my pro wrestling fandom aside for the moment. But so long as Mr. Sensational Gino Vega draws breath, uh, there will forever be a combat sport sized hole in Mr. Sensational Gino Vega's psyche. Kind of reminds me of how had that, la- that final Ultimate Warrior promo go. Every big bitch's last heart! With heart! With heart! Uh, something like that. I don't know. That guy was pretty whack, to be totally honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, ever since, since childhood, I have been enamored with the idea of the fight game. Sports drama in the format of mano e mano combat. Um, two individuals pitted against one another and may the best individual win. That, that's always been kind of a um, formative building block of my imagination. And uh, over the years, it's kind of veered back and forth. Sometimes I've found um, that uh, image portrayed best in scripted combat sports like professional wrestling and other times I veer towards finding it in its truest form in actual sports like boxing and martial arts. And I am at a point in my life where I've again veered totally to the um, true sports side of things. I just feel like professional wrestling has the ability to be the best expression of combat sports drama because it's scripted. But for whatever reason, the genre has moved so far away from being about sports drama and is more about like comedy and, and um, wacky characters and catchphrases um, that I just don't find as much of that uh, um, 
portrayed in wrestling anymore. And while the stars have to align for everything to go perfectly as far as uh, sports storytelling in actual combat sports, it happens often enough and more satisfyingly when it does happen that I've been just happy with my uh, MMA and boxing these last months. But I, I bring this up because I heard something recently that kind of um, tied all of my interest in combat sports um, together in a way that, I mean, I kind of knew this subconsciously, but made me reflect on and realize why it's such a meaningful um, vehicle for me. Even as someone who's, I think, been in two physical altercations in my life, one involved a guy coming at me and me doing like the kind of three stooges, like I put my finger on his forehead and he couldn't reach me. And the other being me swinging wildly at a, a person that did the same thing as defense. So I got, I got sucker punched on the street once. So three, three altercations. Um, why, but why pacifist that I am, why the fight game speaks to me so strongly. And my thoughts on this and the conclusion I came to kind of tie into the overall theme of the Mr. Sensational, you know, Vega podcast as a whole. So I figured I'd share it here, even though I'm sure 90% of those listening have zero interest in the fight game. So I don't didn't want to get too deep in the weeds there. But basically, I've been listening to this podcast lately um, by boxing legend, legendary boxing commentator, uh, Teddy Atlas. Teddy Atlas, a person near and dear to possible show listener, Albert Adame's heart. Uh, Albert Adame is a person that I have only met in person once. And that one time that I met him, the first thing he told me was, look, Gino, before anything else, before any introductions, I just want to make clear how much Teddy Atlas means to me. What, what a giant in the sport I find Teddy Atlas to be. So anyway, I've been listening to this <laughs> Teddy Atlas podcast and, uh, a couple of things that he reiterates from week to week um, spoke to me. I hear this somewhat on the Chael Sonnen podcast, too. But the first is the idea that whenever one goes into a fight, one leaves a part of themselves in that ring. They leave the fight less whole than when they began. So that's point one. But point two is the idea that a fight is not necessarily just a boxing match or even something that has anything to do with combat sports. The fight is a metaphor. And all of us are in some sort of fight at any given time in our lives. Whether it's fighting with an illness, whether it's a fight to pay the rent, whether it's a fight to find happiness and meaning in your life, um, whether it's the, the one that I realize is my fight is just to um, create and grow a personally meaningful family in an otherwise meaningless world. These are all fights. Um, they're all fights that we are going to take punishment in more often than we are not. They're all fights that are ultimately going to kill us because we die at the end of our life, and life is a fight. And by fight, I, it's, it's not, there's often a negative connotation with fight. This is not a fight out of malice or a fight out of anger or spite. 
it's just that conflict that has to exist in order for you to actualize your imagination to create what it is that you're visualizing. So professional fighters are artists who literally through the art of physical physical performance art they attempt to actualize their imagination through winning a physical contest. That's kind of the most basic visceral physical version of the fight. And I mean, God bless the people that do that. Hats off to them. They're essentially sacrificing their lives to um, create this performance art that inspires others. Um, and I know the fight game is not for everyone. I always find it interesting too when actual fans of the fight game get very concerned about the health and well-being of fighters. Um, folks, I'm sorry about these dings. That's uh, the fallout of me not being able to find my earbuds. Although that was Ms. S just texting me that um, she's working at home again starting uh next week due to rising covid rates so r.i.p podcast no just kidding i'll still find a way to do it uh oh but yeah so fighter well-being and now i'm not saying that you should just like there should be no concern for fighter safety or or you know fighter health but just the fact of the matter is when you have signed on to become a professional fighter odds are it is not going to be the best decision for your long-term health because you are essentially sacrificing that health for art you know it's kind of like uh van gogh did van gogh lead a, a happy healthy life no because he sacrificed it for his art and, and that is what i see happening when it comes to professional athletics pretty much across the board because it's not good for your body really to do that level of activity but it's these people that are driven to create this physical performance art that said so there's the physical fight but again there's the metaphysical fight there's just the tryingness of life that we all experience as we try to actualize whatever it is, our own personal uh, imagination, our own personal mark that we're trying to bring into this world. Um, and it is going to take a toll on us. It is probably going to end in tragic fashion, much like the uh, uh, proverbial, you know, over the hill boxer, the washed out fighter. We talked about this last time with the idea of all relationships ending in tragedy. Life ends in tragedy, but does that mean you shouldn't have lived that life? So I've been I've been thinking a lot about those two concepts. One that one uh, leaves a fight with less than they brought coming into it, and the other that we are all engaged in our own fight with our own set of rules. So the mixed martial artist is in a fight in a cage under the unified rules of MMA. I'm in a fight each day trying to keep our family happy and healthy. Uh, the, the business owner is in a fight trying to keep their business successful. But when you put those two together, you realize you can't have it all. There's only so much of us. And if we lose some of ourself each time we enter that ring, whatever that ring may be, uh, eventually we run out of resources. So I guess my takeaway is it's important to pick your fight. It's important to decide what's important to you. What's really important to you. Make that your fight. Make that the one where you die in the ring. Don't, don't waste your time on these fights that aren't for you. Pick that one that speaks to you. So I'm going to keep on keeping on trying to be 
the most Mr. Sensational Gino Vegan family man I can possibly be, with all the hardships and sacrifices that's entailed over the years. And hopefully, some decades from now, hear that last bell and die happy with a smile on my face. You find that one that does the same for you. And I'll talk to you next week. It's Mr. Sensational Gino Vega for the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network, signing off. Don't call it a comeback.